a gun in the face. Then all of a sudden, they all kind of lined up. They pointed their guns at me. And this is the point where I thought, I'm going to die today. Started two years of horror for an American in Venezuela. They said, you need to give us your phone and get ready because you're coming with us. I'm Becky Bruce, and I spent a year researching and piecing together Josh and Tammy Holt's story about their ordeal in a notorious prison. That's when everything started to turn bad. We had another pound on the door. Boom, boom, boom. And there was the police once again. You can binge all of the episodes of Hope in Darkness on kslpodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Utah's best athletes count on flexibility, speed, strength. And the Jazz pick up their 22nd assist. So they count on University of Utah help. Brielle Soleil puts this game away. And so can you. Leading doctors, a world-class environment, award-winning innovation, care to be great. 14 unanswered by the Utes. University of Utah Health, caring for Utah's best and yours. Schedule your appointment now at uofuhealth.org slash care to be great. And welcome to the Utah Puck Report. We're back. It's uh, exciting. I'm in my almost new studio. Uh, because of COVID, I've been you know, not allowed in the building because firefighters are always exposed to COVID. They didn't want me in there. So we're, we're, uh, we're punting. We're finding a new place. I got a, I got a new studio, and this is, this is where it's going to be from. The sad part is that I'm on the floor because I don't have any furniture yet. But uh, one of our first guests... In the, in the original, like, four seasons ago when we first started was Garrett Metcalf, and Garrett's with us again today. Garrett, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me. Um, Garrett, you and I have been friends for a long time, and I use you as an example. I use you and Trevor as an example all the time. And uh, just because of, you know, you didn't, get the, you didn't necessarily have the easy breaks. You had to work hard to get where you're at right now. And... I just, the story just keeps getting more uh, genuine for you. And it, it just, it, you just keep persevering and getting these awesome opportunities that aren't just granted to you. So, uh, to tell people what we're talking about, uh, last year you got signed by the Utah Grizzlies. And that's after completing a COVID year at, um, I don't have my notes with me yet. What university? Long, you Long Island oh. University. Long Island University, and their first year as an NCAA Division One team, right? So tell us a little bit about what it's like to be there and to be – because they were, they were leaning on you as kind of like your leadership for a brand-new program. So what was that like for you? Yeah, um, for people that don't know, I was originally committed to Michigan Tech for about four months. Um, I was paying for an apartment out there, and, uh, you know, things fell through, unfortunately wasn't really my call. Um, but I was looking for somewhere to go in July and, uh, Anaheim still owned my rights. So I was hoping that, you know, if I went to school for another year, that maybe something would work out with them. And I was fortunate enough to get an opportunity to go to Long Island university. And I think one of the biggest things for me was, although it was a brand new program with kids coming from division three kids transferring from places that they hadn't played a lot, 
I feel like I had been around um, and I felt like I could leave my mark and my stamp on what it means to play division one college hockey and, and help build and cultivate a culture um, that hopefully can last for years to come. And that was one of the biggest things that brought me to go to that school, obviously an opportunity to play division one college hockey for my fourth year um, was big, but you know, the culture aspect of it and, and leading those young kids and maybe more inexperienced players uh, down the road of, um, you know, college hockey. So in the fire service, we have a saying that the best way to learn is to teach. And it, it seems like you had more growth as a, as a mentor, as a, as a player. Like, your game's been solid, but I've seen, like a, like, a more mental toughness come over you over the last year, two years. Do you attribute to that, to maybe all of a sudden being that mentor, to being the guy that, you know, had to build that culture? Yeah, I think definitely. Um, I think just maturing, obviously, you know, you've known me for a really long time. I'm 25 now. Um, I've had a lot of people instill in me. Uh, I think the biggest mental helper was when I played for the Rampage with Andrew Sherman and Pat Bingham. Uh, They always just talked about sticking to the process uh, and controlling what you can control. And I just think that no matter how many times you say that, like something clicks when it, when it wants to click. And I think you're right. Probably within the last year or two, that's really when things have kind of clicked for me, I guess, mentally, there's definitely challenges and ups and downs. Um, But I think as I get older, you just kind of learn to roll with the punches and understand that there's things that are completely outside of your control. uh, And there's no point in wasting your energy on those things. Uh, And I think some of that is correct. Uh, It it came with, with teaching younger kids that, and I think the more that you preach something, the more that you're going to hold on to it as well. Yeah, absolutely. And so, and then that kind of actually just plays into what's going on now. So you finish up your college season, you get to sign with your hometown Utah Grizzlies. And, uh, you know, obviously that's a great for your dad, who's been around the Grizzlies forever and the Eagles before that. And, just a cool moment for all of us, I think, to see you come back, play some games, season in. Like, you had a great season, and you are definitely in control of your games. I watched you. You were very composed in those games. Um, season ends. We know you're coming back. We know, like, the only thing that would keep you from coming back is an AHL contract, which I, I expected you to get, or the Colorado Avalanche having a ton of guys they needed a place to play. So as the season gets ready to start, all of a sudden that exact thing happens. Utah has two guys assigned to them from Colorado. And for, for fans that don't understand, like when you're a free agent and you sign in the East Coast League, and it doesn't matter if you're the better goalie or the more experienced goalie or the local goalie or whatever it is, Colorado is going to say, here's two guys, play them. We don't care about anything else in your organization. You're a farm club, play them. So, you talk about those moments where you try not to exude a lot of energy, um, things you can't control, but what, what's it like all of a sudden being third man out in your hometown team? Yeah, it's, it's definitely tough. And for, you know, you're explaining it, but for people that don't know for goalies, the ECHL is basically a developmental league. Um, so that's for guys that are younger. If you look uh, Trent minor now, who's done an unbelievable job this year in his first full year pro. Um, but he's a young guy under an NHL contract. So for him, um, they want him to play games. He's only, I believe, 20, 21 years old. 
So he's still very young in his professional career. So they want him to play games. And if you look at the majority of the ECHL teams, um, they all have an NHL affiliate and every single team has at least one goalie that's under an AHL or NHL contract. Uh, it's very rare. You'll see it occasionally. Uh, one that comes to the top of my head is Evan uh, Bidenheist there in uh, Wichita. He's basically the only goalie. Um, but I think that's a rarity. That's few and far between. So for me, I knew, uh, you know, coming back was probably my best opportunity. Um, you know, I'm from here. I know the coaching staff very well. I know the, the situation. I'm a local guy, so I live at home with my parents, which really helps me. It also helps the team. Um, and I know that if I go somewhere else, then I might be looking at a scenario where I'm playing on three or four ECHL teams throughout the year, maybe only getting 10 games. Uh, so, you know, after the, the AHL deal this summer didn't, didn't happen, um, I decided that I was going to come back and, and play in Utah again and hope that, uh, you know, you never really hope for injuries or to have another crazy COVID year because that brings so many complications within, you know, your own game and everything else. But I was hoping that something opened up to the point where I'd get an opportunity to play. Um, but yeah, really at the beginning of the year, it was just focusing on getting better every single day in practice and being a good teammate and, uh, you know, being ready for when my opportunity came. As I saw last year that when there's two contracted guys down, you're not really going to get a whole lot of opportunity. So if you do get a game, part of the reason you have to be ready is to show those guys that you can play. Uh, but also if I play five games in a year, and I'm looking for another ECHL deal somewhere else, or maybe an AHL team is interested, like I have to have good numbers um, or else they're, they're not going to look at me at all. So that was the biggest thing. And I'm not going to sit here and say that it was easy and all sunshine and rainbows. Uh, obviously I have a college degree and um, I'm on a rookie contract in the ECHL or I was at the, at that point. So, you know, I was kind of playing a juggling act between do I want to keep doing this or you know, should I hang them up and maybe get a real job and, you know, pursue that path? Because I did go to school for four years and that's something that I'm grateful for and can rely on after my career is over. But uh, I kept coming back to, I put so much time and energy into getting to this point in my life uh, that I'm not going to just throw it all away to not see it through. So I, I gave myself a timeline in the summer and I'd have to remind myself of that, that uh, I want to give myself two years in North America so after next season um, being the end of that, that if I can't get an AHL deal or better uh, and make a little bit more money that I'm probably going to go pursue playing in Europe just to get the experience, not necessarily go over there for the money, but the life experience. And, uh, and then after that, decide what I want to do. Uh, you know, you bring up a lot of good points. It's um, you talk about not wanting injury or anything like that. And that's the same thing as a firefighter, right? I, a lot of times I'm like, Oh, well, I'm here, if something bad's going to happen, it might as well happen while I'm here so that I could go do those things I've trained for. And then also, like, you know, Grizzlies fans instant message me all the time. And they'll be like, well, what about Garrett? Why isn't Garrett playing? Why isn't Garrett playing? And I'd be like, well, because, you know, and I try to explain it to them with the, with the contracts and stuff like that. But I, the thing I always said is he'll get a chance. Believe me, as the e-bug, so normally I'm the number three goalie for the Grizzlies, every year around November – my phone starts ringing and whether it's with Utah or whatever guys in this building get hurt, get called up, get COVID, get, you know, we've had guys quit the team or go to Europe or whatever around November phone starts ringing and goalies get an opportunity. So I knew that something would happen for you. And I knew that things would be 
you know, maybe I didn't know they'd go as crazy as they are, but I just knew that things were going to happen for you. And so to let people know what happened for you, we all of a sudden have this amazing opportunity come up because of COVID, because of taxi squads. You get a phone call from the Philadelphia Flyers Farm Club, Lehigh Valley, who we also have a great friend and constant, uh, uh, you know, Riley Armstrong's on the show every once in a while. I love the dude. He's not only is he amazing hockey talent, he's so entertaining to talk to and be around that, of course, we're going to have him on the show all the time. So you get that phone call. Explain to us when, how that happened, when it happened, and what was going through your head. Yeah, so it was kind of crazy because uh, we had just gotten Rapid City, and this was right after Christmas. Um, so the 26th, we're flying out of Salt Lake City. We go to Denver before we go to Rapid. Our flight gets delayed uh, in Salt Lake. We miss our connecting flight in Denver. They can't get us there until the next day, which would have been uh, Tuesday or Wednesday, whatever it was, at 11.45 p.m. But we have a game at 7.05 p.m. So they're like, that's not going to work. So there was only 11 of us, I believe. So we rented four rental cars after we spent most of the day in Denver. Uh, we drove down to Rapid City. It was about a six-hour drive. Uh, got in probably you know, between 12 and 1 o'clock. Woke up the next day, went to pregame skate. As a goalie, exciting, but I had brand new gear that I hadn't even worn yet. So I wore it in pregame skate. And then I hadn't skated over Christmas for whatever it was, eight to 10 days. And, uh, you know, I felt fine. Gear was a little stiff, but I was like, whatever, I'm going to wear my new stuff in the game. Like it's not going to make me any worse. So we played that night um, and we lost three nothing. But right before I was going out to warm ups, uh, my agent, who I'd actually just fired, over Christmas break texted me. Uh, it was like a copy and paste message from the assistant GM of the flyers. And it just said like, Hey, is your goalie Garrett ready for a call up? Uh, and I texted him back. I was literally going out for warm ups, like a lot of things going through my mind. I just didn't want to miss the opportunity, but I wanted to play well. So I just said like, Hey, I'm the only goalie here in Utah right now. We have an emergency backup. Uh, here's Ryan Kanasiewicz's number, like text him and talk to him. Like I got to go play. Um, so I went and played, came out off the ice after and had a text from my ex-agent at the time. And he said, uh, sorry about the loss, but you're going up to Lehigh Valley tomorrow. Um, so obviously I was a little upset that we lost, but very excited for my first opportunity and call up to the American Hockey League. And uh, yeah, then the next morning I was on a flight out here. A gun in the face. Then all of a sudden they all kind of lined up. They pointed their guns at me. And this is the point where I thought, I'm going to die today. Started two years of horror for an American in Venezuela. They said, you need to give us your phone and get ready because you're coming with us. I'm Becky Bruce, and I spent a year researching and piecing together Josh and Tammy Holt's story about their ordeal in a notorious prison. That's when everything started to turn bad. We had another pound on the door. Boom, boom, boom. And there was the police once again. You can binge all of the episodes of Hope in Darkness on kslpodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts. How awkward is that, that you get the one of the best call, like the best text messages from a guy you just fired? Yeah, no, it was really weird. Uh, I ended up finding out a little bit later from Riley that it wasn't necessarily... Um, my ex-agent's doing. 
Uh, it was kind of, they were looking for a guy, you know, not necessarily war room, but the coaches were talking and my name had gotten brought up yeah. and uh, I was the guy that they wanted and he was my agent at the time. So they reached out to him. So I, I didn't feel as bad. I'd been with him for nine years before that. We have a great relationship. He still texts me now. Um, so he's been unbelievable about the whole thing. And uh, I guess I felt bad, but I don't feel bad. Um, I, I feel like the results still would have been the same um if i was with him or you know whatever so yeah that's cool all right so then you get the call and then that that's the funny thing is that all of a sudden we have an e-boat situation in utah again and it's also you know that's my 15 minute claim to fame and it's also against rapid city who i played against as an e-boat but that time it's a local kid how cool is that story like and he's actually i'm interviewing him tonight so he'll be on the show uh later this week so that, it's going to be a pretty interesting uh, catch-up. I mean, can you imagine being in his shoes, just coming home for Christmas break and being like, hey, do you want an e-boat for Utah? Oh, by the way, you're starting. Yeah. Yeah, I saw I saw the story, and I texted some of the boys after. And obviously when an opportunity, you know, comes about for, for one person, that leaves opportunity for somebody else. So super happy for him and excited that he was able to jump in and and get his first win in his professional game. And I know that that was probably a game that he and the boys will remember for probably the rest of their lives. Very cool story. So congrats to him. Yeah. Hopefully he gets his own podcast out of the whole deal. I hear that's what, that's what's next. So tell us, I mean, now you get the call up, you're going to Lehigh, you're, you're in the AHL. You, do you plan on playing? Do you think you're going to go there and, uh, you know, ride the pine for a bit or what's going through your head? Yeah, so, I mean, a lot of times you see with call-ups, even in the ECHL, guys will come up for a weekend, not play, and then get sent back to wherever they came from. So um, I didn't really know the situation, but I knew that, again, my ex-agent at the time didn't really want to put me in a situation like that. Um, So not long after, we were texting, and he sent another screenshot-type thing saying that I could be up in Lehigh for a while because of COVID and injuries and how everything else is going. Um, and then he asked me if I had a lot of clothes and I think I had three, three t-shirts in my bag. So, but, um, I knew that I was going to be here for a bit and was obviously hoping that I would get an opportunity. Uh, my first day here had to go through a physical and then, uh, the guys had a day off cause they had played not long before. And so I skated with some of the guys that were coming back from injury and the, the goalie coach and the two assistant coaches. And I was on the ice stretching before we even started. And the goalie coach came up to me, he's like, Hey, you're starting on Saturday. Um, I, I don't want to, you know, tell you a whole lot and change your game here. He's like, well, I'm going to watch you and assess. And then, uh, you know, I'll, I'll tell you a few things as, as I see fit as we progress here and hopped in the net for practice. And then it wasn't long after that uh, I was getting my first AHL start. Well, who was the goalie coach there? Uh, Brady Robinson. He was an old uh, GDI guy. Oh, okay. All right. So interesting. Um, all right. So, now you've got your first start coming up, and you know how many games did you have in the East Coast League this season before that? Uh, five. Five. That's that's a big jump. It's a big jump in talents. Tell us about who was your first game against, and how did it go? Uh, we played Bridgeport, and we won two to one in overtime. Uh, I think it was the shots were like twenty six to twenty six. Yeah, I saw. I I remember seeing the your dad posts something and I, I kept trying to check. I kept updating like elite prospects to see what your numbers were. Usually they're pretty, pretty accurate. I'm trying to keep checking in and see how things went and seeing that you're in overtime all of a sudden, I was like, Oh man, what a welcome to the A. 
And is Bridgeport still an Islanders farm club? Yes, they are. So, I mean, amazing. Like, to me, it's just, it, it's overwhelming. Planning a New York Islanders organization. Like, two, like, just legendary teams with so much heritage and so much tradition among them. And then there you are, a kid from Utah, like, ready to go, playing on overtime. And how did that go? You get your big overtime win. And how, how was the uh, welcome from the team? Yeah, no, it was awesome. It's been great since I've been here. Uh, Charlie Gerard and Hayden Hodgson, who played in Utah last year, are here. So, obviously, I knew them. I played with Charlie for on and off for the past six or seven years between junior, playing against each other, um, with each other, and then against each other. And then, um, you know, following along each other's careers in college and playing pro together. So, that was great. And then, uh, you know, I think after that first win, it wasn't, I wouldn't say that it was the hardest game I've ever played, but, you know, just kind of showing the guys that like, I'm here to hopefully stay and play some games and help the guys get some wins. Um, and then I think probably the biggest win was, uh, that second one when we played Wilkes-Barre, we had, uh, we'd been stuck in COVID protocol. The team kind of got shut down for close to 10 days there. We probably practiced twice in 10 days. Um, and then my coach is like, Hey, you're starting. I think we got, outshot 41 to 16 and we won we ended up winning four to three they scored with 6.5 seconds left which was kind of a dagger but um I think that was the biggest one just to show the guys that I can play at this level and be you know kind of a a key factor in winning games and they're not going to have to score you know six goals every single night like I I can play at this level and uh hopefully I I gave them some confidence and, and built some confidence and trust in them that when I'm in net that they're not going to have to to worry about it because as you can imagine when someone gets called up from the coast to the HL or you know SP or whatever like you don't really know what to expect and they get thrown in for a first game you know you win two to one in overtime like awesome we won but like what can this kid really do type of thing so I think that Wilkes-Barre game for me was one of those games where I showed everybody that I can play at this level. Yeah I think that was kind of that was what the consensus was on the internet. It's like first game wasn't a fluke. This kid's for real. And that's got to start feeling good. Because, I mean, you get put in a situation that you don't really know. You've never been in the AHL before. You played against a lot of these guys, but you know, it's a higher level and there's gotta be that thought in the back of your head. Like, I think I can play at this level, but can I really? And then you go out there and you prove it in your body of work. And it's like, all right, I, I really do belong here. Now now the guys believe it, and I think I believe it too. You think you're, you've, done, you've done enough work. You know, you've tested yourself in a lot of different ways, and you're always pushing yourself. You know you believe in yourself. But it's nice to have the body of work behind you now. You're 2-0-1. Is that still your record? I mean, yeah. that's, that's pretty awesome. First three games into the A. Um, any idea of – What's next for you? Like, uh, when do you guys play next? So the guys played last night. Um, unfortunately, I tested positive for COVID. I don't have any yeah. symptoms, but uh, being the rules are rules, I have to quarantine for five days, and then I have to have a negative test to come out unless it reaches day 10. So I'm hoping that I'm only in for the five days, and then um, I'll miss this weekend series against Charlotte. They're leaving tonight, I believe. Uh, play Saturday, Sunday. So I'm hopefully back practicing on Monday and uh, be ready for the series next weekend if if my name's called. Um, 
but yeah, I, I don't, you know, I'm just, I'm just here to enjoy it and take it day by day and whatever comes my way comes my way. I'm looking at it as I'm trying out for 32 teams. Um, there's going to be, you know, teams that are looking for guys to play in the AHL next year, or, you know, maybe be up and down between the American league and the ECHL. And I'm hoping that, uh, you know, I can just add, add good, good things to my resume. So hopefully this summer, I'm one of those guys that's signing one of those deals. Yeah, man, that's the, the COVID story. That just, uh, it just goes to what we're talking about, the ups and downs and the crazy, you know, you just don't see some certain things coming and certain things are out of your control. Um, but yeah, it's, it's awesome. I, I think from what I've seen of you, and maybe I shouldn't be saying this, but you know, I, I've watched you grow up. I've watched you play for the Grizzlies. I was able to see a little bit of one of your games recently in the A and you are, at least an AHL goalie. And I hope more teams start recognizing this. And again, I talk to Riley somewhat frequently and, uh, you know, that's always been my pitch to him forever is that, you know, I always try to pitch you and some other guys to him when he got to the A and I was like, you know, these guys are legit and your game, you're so controlled now and your composure is, is that elite level. So I, I, I hope you understand what I'm saying when I say this, but I, I hope to never see you in a Grizzlies uniform again. I loved having you here, but I don't want you to come back. Yeah, no, I'd, I'd love to not come back too. And uh, we'll have to see how the rest of this year goes. Maybe I'll be back towards the end of the year. And if, if that's the case, then um, I don't think that's a bad thing. But hopefully moving forward after, you know, the the stint up here, however long that lasts and uh, moving forward after that, hopefully I, I'm not back in that league again. And that's not to say anything bad about that league. It's a great league with a lot of really good players, but I just think that um, I can make a name for myself in this league and continue to develop and grow. I mean, when you look at it too, I've only played 14 pro games when you put everything together, or I would say 14 pro games in the ECHL and now three in the American league. So uh, although I'm probably a little bit older on the spectrum of age at 25 uh, comparatively, I think if you look at the, you know, the short history of my pro hockey career, I think that I have a lot left um, and hopefully someone's willing to take a chance on me and give me an opportunity to play um, an extended amount of games in a year and, and show them what I can really do. Yeah, I hope so too. And that's not unnormal for goalies developed later. Everybody's always known that. That's why hardly any goalie gets drafted and ends up with the team that drafted them just because it takes longer for a goalie to figure his crap out. You know, we're not all Martin Broder that can start in the NHL at 19 years old. Yeah. It takes a while. So I think you're on the right path, Garrett. And, uh, man, we're just – and I maybe I better preemptively strike on any of the Grizzlies fans that don't understand what I just said about not having you back. And we're not – we just want our Utah boys to do really well. And this is the best thing for you. You played at this level. That's what everybody here in Utah is hoping for. I know that's what you're hoping for. I know that's what your dad's hoping for. So it's not a diss on the Grizzlies. It's just the Grizzlies did their job. They gave you an opportunity, helped you develop, and hopefully those uh, those roots took. And you're often, like I said, your game's really composed right now. It's been fun watching you play. Yeah, I appreciate that. Okay, buddy. Well, thank you. And uh, again, everybody in Utah is rooting for you. I really appreciate you taking the time and, and coming on the show. And hopefully we'll pull you back in the next few weeks and find out what other kind of crazy things are happening in your life. For sure. Yeah. I appreciate you having me on. Uh, hopefully I know you're moving. So hopefully that continues to go smoothly and uh, everybody in your family's happy and well. 
Uh, perfect, buddy. I, I appreciate it. And that is the Utah Puck Report. It's the story of an American held in a dark Venezuelan prison. Then all of a sudden, they all kind of lined up. They pointed their guns at me. And this is the point where I thought, I'm going to die today. I'm Becky Bruce. I spent a year working on Hope in Darkness, which now has more than 2 million downloads. Find it on kslpodcast.com or wherever you listen to podcasts.